Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Tonight, I'm going to actually conclude my series that I've entitled Grace on the Mount. So turn to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, this is um, Grace on the Mount. We'll be kind of in the second half of Matthew 7. Um, I thought about doing a special Christmas message, but I know Pastor Lawson is going to have a great Christmas message Sunday, and I don't want to steal his thunder. So I want to I want to wrap this up so when we come back in uh, 2024 I can start with um, something fresh and new. But I'm really excited actually about uh, the the rest of this series. Just we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but we've been looking at it through the the the, the lens of grace, which is really how we should be looking at all of Scripture because grace has come. Jesus has come. He's the face of God's grace. So we should be looking at things not in a legalistic way, but but Jesus here. Uh, throughout this message is really pointing people away from the law, pointing them to grace, pointing them towards himself. Amen. And uh, last week, as we kind of started in Matthew 7, we talked about a revelation of grace and what that really means. And um, I wanted to share this verse with you, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. You know, in salvation, that, of, of course, encompasses um, our forgiveness of sins um, our ability to enter heaven and have eternal life there. But, but um, salvation also includes healing. It includes peace for your soul, for your heart. It, it includes joy. It includes provision. And all this comes by grace, through faith. And it says, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. I love gifts from God. He only has good things to give. And if you have a revelation of grace, you're really going to understand that God is completely good and he only has good things to give. He does not give you stones when you ask for bread. He does not give, you know, bread, the children's bread is healing. So if you're praying, you know, if people say that that sickness comes from God, they don't have a revelation of grace. They don't have a revelation of who God truly is, who the Father truly is, who Jesus truly is. Jesus did not put sickness on a single person. Multiple times it said he healed them all. I don't ever see that he put sickness on someone. So if people, if people declare that they don't have a revelation of grace, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So grace, um, man, having a revelation of grace, it will transform your life. Um, I've heard my dad talk about this years ago. He had a conversation with Andrew Womack, and he said God's grace is so profound to really understand it. It only comes by revelation through your spirit. It's something that's so huge, so immense, so divine that you can't just mentally comprehend it. It has to be, be given to you by revelation through the spirit, and um, it, it will, it'll be evident in your life. When you receive that revelation, my dad had been pastoring for several years before he thought he received that revelation of grace, that full understanding of what grace really is. And he said it, it transformed how he pastored, it transformed how he um, was in marriage, it transformed how he parented. Um, it, it's evident in a lot of things. And was, as we're going through Matthew 7, just talking about how Jesus was, was turning people away from the law, from looking at everything through a legalistic lens, to looking at, at, at things through a grace lens for who the Father truly is, who himself truly was. We see that a revelation of grace, we talked about this, that it would be reflected in your relationships with others. So I said, judge not lest ye be judged. He's saying the way you look at others, the way you, you relate to others, the way you 
you go through life, um, it's not in a judgmental, legalistic way, but it's going to be in a gracious way. Um, number two, a revelation of grace will be reflected in your prayer life. And we talked about how, how he said in verse 11, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things? I love that. Good things to those who ask him. And um, thirdly, we said a revelation of grace will be reflected in your actions. Verse 13, Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it. So what is the narrow gate? The narrow gate is Jesus. Every other gate is the broad gate. Every other gate. If you think, if you, think you can attain righteousness or attain you know, what, what the divine, any other gate besides Jesus is the broad gate. That might be through, through your own performance. That might be through other religions. That might be through a certain political system or a certain ideological system. Every other gate is a broad gate that leads to destruction. There's only one gate. That's why it's called the narrow gate. But this gate, when you go through Jesus, it opens up the broad place of salvation. It opens up the broad place of heaven. It opens up the broad place of God's kingdom, which is immeasurable. And it keeps increasing and increasing. Jesus is that narrow gate. He said in John 14, verse 6 and 7, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and you have seen him. Jesus is that narrow gate. He is the narrow gate of God's grace. He is the narrow gate of receiving everything from our Heavenly Father. Acts 4 verse 12, Peter said this, There is salvation in no other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is only through the name of Jesus. He is that narrow gate. Amen? Are we going to continue talking about what a revelation of grace does in the life of a believer? And this is, a revelation of grace is actually something that you, you attain initially, but something that you can, you can keep growing in as well. That's why the Bible says you should go from grace to grace. I see that sometimes there's people that, that kind of go in grace a little bit, but their roots of religion, their roots of, you know, watered down Christianity, their roots of, you know, God just controls everything, their roots of, Sometimes they go back to that. They take a step back. They don't go from grace to grace. They go from grace back to legalism. You want to grow in grace. You don't want to plateau. You don't want to go back. You want to keep growing in grace. And uh, my first point tonight, um, we'll start here in verse 15, is this. A revelation of grace will give you spiritual discernment. A legalistic, a judgmental lens actually impairs your spiritual insight. And I see sometimes who, who, people who've started going in grace, but they go back. You know that Paul wrote a lot of letters to people who were going back. Back to legalism, back to, to the, the law of Moses, back to performance, back to places that they shouldn't go. We, we see that they, they were losing spiritual insight. Jesus kind of talks about this even earlier in the chapter. We said, um, when you're looking at others through a legalistic, judgmental lens, you're going to be you know, looking for specks in everyone's eyes when there's a plank in your own eye. 
Legalism will cause you to lose spiritual insight. And I love this quote, I've shared it before, but the law only breeds two things, defeat if you're honest and hypocrisy if you're not. We talked about that word hypocrisy, which Jesus uses several times in this message. Actually, in Scripture, Jesus is the only person in Scripture who uses the word hypocrite. And in Greek, the, the, the definition of, of hypocrite means to be an actor. It means you're not being real, you're not authentic, you're not the real deal, even how you're acting, how you're dressing, how you're talking, how you're... The, the law will cause you to be a good actor. And just be, be looking for specks everywhere, and, and it, it'll, it'll impact your spiritual insight. It'll impact your vision. Um, th- this kind of reminds me of something that Paul said to Titus. Um, Titus 1.15 says, To the pure, all things are pure. But those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. I, I notice when some people kind of start going back out of grace, they start getting a little more legalistic and they, they just can't stay around certain people because there's just so many problems and they go somewhere else and they, they might be okay for a little bit, but so, sooner or later they just, the, it, the problem isn't everything that they're seeing out there. The problem is, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. There's a famous, is that a Swifty song? It is. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about discernment. Discernment um, is a, a spiritual gift. It's something that all believers should, should tap into, but discernment is given for the profit of all. I, I've seen some people kind of get screwy with discernment. And um, the discernment isn't just like a feeling you get when you just see someone for the first time, you know, 300 yards away, and I got to go tell everyone what I feel. Discernment is given for the profit of all. Say the profit of all. And it actually flows from a revelation of grace. It, it flows from, from a gift from the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, speaking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it says this. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. As I was typing out my notes, Heather sent me a quote that she came across and is neat because she sent to me right as I was typing up my notes. It was like God's timing, but it's a quote from Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom, she said this, discernment is God's call to intercession, never to fault finding. Discernment actually flows from grace. It flows from a revelation of grace, and it will bring strength and unity to a community of believers. It doesn't lead to discord. It doesn't lead to detachment. It doesn't lead to isolation. I'll say that again. I even made it bold in my notes because I knew it was good. Discernment is given for the profit of all. It flows from a revelation of grace. It will bring strength and unity to a community of believers. It doesn't lead to discord, doesn't lead to detachment, and doesn't lead to isolation. So if there's someone who thinks they're very high on the discernment totem pole, I'm very spiritual, I'm very prophetic, I'm very discerning, but however this lens that they're looking at people and they're just constantly in discord, constantly detached, constantly isolated, or or draw people into that, draw people away from community, draw people away, 
from places where there's a lot of fruit. We're going to talk about fruit here in a second. It relates to discernment because we're supposed to discern fruit. It doesn't lead to discord, detachment, and isolation. That's really good. Right here, verse 15, beware of false prophets. In the Greek, um, false prophets is one word. It's the word pseudo-prophetes. Do you know prophetes? It sounds like prophet, right? But pseudo. Pseudo means like something. So it's saying be, beware of people who are like prophets. And again, it means to be acting. Someone who acts like a prophet, uttering um, falsehoods under the name of divine prophecies, but it's to act like something. And, and Jesus says something really important here. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Again, it's an actor type thing, right? The hypocrite, that acting like something, it's, it's they're wearing something. They're maybe talking a certain way, maybe saying certain things to get them into, you know, the, the backstage. But it, it says, um, you know, the, the inward thing is what really matters. It's, it says inwardly they are ravenous wolves, and it's not always easy to discern what's on the inside of someone. It's not always easy to discern what, what, what someone's real motivations are, what's really going on in their mind, in their heart. But, but Jesus says something really important here. He says in verse 16, this is how you know someone. You don't know someone just by discerning someone just instantly or just by a feeling, or by a thought, or by a, you, you discern people by knowing, you, especially prophets, but not only prophets, I, I think this works for, for, for any um, major leader in the body of Christ. I think the same um, test can be done for, for pastoral ministry, for evangelists, for teachers, for apostles. It says you will know them by their fruits. And this is something I want to tell you about fruit. Fruit does not grow overnight. If you're going to know someone, if you're going to look up, look up to someone as a leader, as a pastoral leader, as a pro prophetic leader, as an apostolic leader, as an evangelistic leader, as a, a, a teaching kind of leader, you need to look at the fruit from their life, the, flute, the fruit from their leadership, the fruit from their ministry. And fruit, um, it's not grown overnight. It takes time. It takes years. It takes decades. And we're to look at the fruit, and that, that's over a period of time. Some people want to follow a prophet, a, a pastor, a, a, a church leader, um, based upon their popularity, based upon their charm, their charisma, their talent, maybe even because someone else vouched for them. But really, you have to look at the fruit. You have to look at um, the, the impact of what they have done over a long period of time. This is really good. Um, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 and 6. You know, I, I've seen this um, saying. You know, I wish that the Apostle Paul would write a letter to the American church today. He has. And I wish the Apostle Paul would write, write letters to American pastors today. He has. And I read them. 1 Peter 3, verse 1. It says, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop or an overseer, a leader in the body of Christ, specifically, you know, like a head pastor type role, it says he desires a good work. And, and Paul writes some qualifications for this, but in verse 6, there's an in interesting qualification. He says this person should not be a novice. Say novice. 
It says, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. So that's um, very, very direct words that Paul is writing here. Novice is, is a very interesting word. I felt like as I was studying this out that I should look at the original Greek. I love being spirit-led in Bible study. Man, God will show you really cool things just as you pray and ask him to, to, to show you what should I really dig into. But I felt like led, I should be led, you know, dive into that word novice. And in the Greek, it's a combination of two words, two roots there. Neo and, um, so I, I, I'm not a Greek scholar. I, I took Hebrew. I can pronounce Hebrew. I can't really pronounce Greek. So I'm sorry if there's Greek scholars here. Neo, neo phytos. So it's a combination of neos, which means new, and that phytos, it's, the, the root is um, phio, which means a plant that springs up, like a brand new springing up plant. And that, that, that root there, phio, something that springs up, it's only used twice in the New Testament. And it's kind of interesting where it is used. It's used in the parable of the sower. One of the times it's used, parable of the sower. Um, Luke 8, verse 6, it says, Some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it sprang up, pheo, like a brand new root shooting up, it says it sprang up and it withered away because it lacked moisture. So there was a plant there, it was springing up, but it never bared fruit. And the other time it's used, it's used in Hebrews when it says, Beware lest there be a root of bitterness springing up. That same word there is used in Hebrews. Jesus said this about that, that springing up, about that novice, that, that you didn't know whether it's going to keep springing up or it was going to wither away. Luke 8, 13, Jesus said, but the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, and those who have no root, since they have no root, they believe for a while, but in time of temptation fall away. But I, if I'm going to really look to someone as a leader in my life, as a pastor, a, a pastor is someone who's going to disciple you. A pastor is someone who's, who you're going you're to go hear their teaching, their ministry, their, their preaching. You're going to be connected to you know, the, the ecosystem, the plant. The, you're going to be connected to them. You want, you want to be connected to someone that, where, where you've seen fruit in their ministry. Does this make sense? And it's good fruit. And um, I, I'm, I'm very thankful that, that we have a great head pastor here. I actually consider myself to be a novice to some extent. I've been here seven and a half years pastoring now, but I think to, to, to get out of that novice period, it, it takes maybe 10 years. Maybe, I don't know. I remember um, when, I, when I first um, came here at, at, to, to help my dad, um, uh, to pastor, we, we um, went to Dallas. He was ministering at a, at a large uh, church there, Ben and Kim Daly's church, and um, I met the associate pastor there. And um, he, I, I had a really great conversation with him. He had been there 10 years, just as the associate, just, just helping the head pastor. I, had, I could just tell he was a very faithful person, a very consistent person, someone who... I could tell he wasn't a hypocrite. He wasn't just an actor. He was the real deal. And I knew part of the reason why I knew he was the real deal was because he had a little bit of a track record going. And not long after, he actually got, got an opportunity to be a head pastor at, a, at another very large church, and he went out you know, with 
in, in a good way. If I could tell, I could tell this guy was the real deal because the, there was fruit. There, he'd probably been through some stuff. If someone has worked or been in a position of leadership in a church for 10 years, you've probably had a chance to just wither up and dry up and, yeah, not feel moisture and blow away and whatever. But this guy, you know, I knew that the rains came probably and the storms blew, but there was something rooted deep and, and he was producing fruit and I believe he's still producing fruit even today. Amen? And, um, you know, Paul, when he's writing to Timothy about this novice thing, um, you're welcome to, to trust a novice, you know, to, for, for a major, major leadership type role, but you're kind of rolling the dice because you just haven't had that time to see what fruit is going to bear. Does that make sense? But by their fruits, you will know them. We'll continue here in verse 16. He says, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Um, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, therefore, by their fruits, say, by their fruits, you will know them. So Jesus is really stressing this. He said this again a second time. If he's saying something a second time, if I tell my kids something a second time, it means you better get this through your heads. He's saying, by, say, by their fruits, you will know them. So we are to discern the fruit, amen? And it's hard to, to really look into someone's heart, look into the thoughts, the intents, the desires of their heart, what's really, mo but you can see the fruit over a period of time. And eventually the fruit will come out. Eventually a grape vine will bear grapes. Eventually a thorn bush will, will bear thistles. So by, your, by their fruits you will know them. So number one, that revelation of grace will give you spiritual discernment. And again, I, I've seen it where people kind of step, step back towards legalism, step back to performance, step back away from grace. They start losing discernment. They, start, they, start, they stop actually being able to really look at the fruit in people's lives. Next point here, a revelation of grace will draw you closer to the heart of the Father. Grace will not draw you away. Grace, grace will not cause you to sin. You know, Paul said this. He said, should I, should I sin that grace may abound? God forbid. A revelation of grace will actually draw you closer to the heart of the Father. Let's go into verse 21 here. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So I want to talk a little bit about how to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talked a lot about how to enter the kingdom of heaven. And here he's saying it's not just what you say. It's not just what you say. He's saying some people call me Lord, Lord, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll enter the kingdom of heaven. Just what you say does not mean that you get it. Just acknowledging that Jesus is Lord doesn't mean you really get it and then you're going to enter heaven. There's a lot of beings in the universe, both the natural realm and the spiritual realm, that know that Jesus is Lord. But all these beings that, that know the Lordship of Jesus, it does not necessarily mean that they will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's not, so it's not just what you say. It's not just acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. It's about desiring the heart of the Father. What is his will? The will stems from someone's heart. It's about caring about what God really thinks. You're not going to want to do things that grieve the heart of the Father. Right, so that, that, that understanding of, of who the Father is, of who Jesus is, that, that relationship with him, when you have that understanding, you're going you're gonna to want to draw closer to the will of the Father. You're not going to want to do things that, that you know grieve him. Does that make sense? And the will is at the center of someone's heart. And really, when, when you're in relationship with the Father, your will becomes so intertwined with him that his heart becomes your heart. It's not just what I want to do. It's about what he wants me to do. And when you're making a major decision, maybe it's a relational decision. Maybe it's a career decision. Maybe it's a, a, a ministry-type decision. You're not just going to be asking yourself, how do I feel about this, but what does the Father want me to do? That's the main thing. That's the priority there. And as you do what the Father wants you to do, his desires are going to just morph into your desires. And you're going to realize that his way is so much better than my way. Amen. Let's look at um, the next verse here. Verse 22. It says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? We've done many wonders in your name. So here he's still talking about how to enter the kingdom of heaven. So no, it's not just what you say. It's also not just what you do. Here's people who do a lot of things. They prophesy in his name. They cast out demons in his name. They've done wonders in his name. But he says that's not ultimately how you enter the kingdom of heaven. How do you enter the kingdom of heaven? It's through a relationship with Jesus. It's through knowing Jesus. That is how you enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what it is all about. It's not about what you say. It's not about what you do. It's about knowing Jesus. It's about knowing the Father through Jesus. It's about a relationship with him. That is eternal life. Eternal life is not what you say. It's not what you ascribe to. It's not what you acknowledge. It's not what you do. Christianity is not a system of works. It's eternal life. What is eternal life? Jesus says this in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's all about knowing him. So a revelation of grace, it will give you spiritual discernment. It will also draw you closer to the heart of the Father, and lastly, a revelation of grace will, will cause you to have a firm foundation. I love that song that we sang tonight. I didn't even realize that I was going to be teaching on this tonight when we planned out these songs weeks ago. But a revelation of grace is a firm foundation because that is built upon who Jesus is. Jesus came to put the face to God's grace. Verse 23. It says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. It's, again, it's about knowing him. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And lawlessness really is anything outside of Jesus. You know, maybe half a year ago, several months ago, I gave a definition of the flesh that my dad really liked. 
And the flesh is this. The flesh is anything outside of Christ. Anything outside of Jesus. So it could just be completely crazy, you know, sinful behavior just driven by emotions and base instincts, but it could also, it could also be, be any type of system of works that isn't based upon faith in Jesus. So I use the example of the Taliban in Afghanistan. The Taliban is, is complete flesh. And again, some, some people describe flesh as just being like the world, but, but the Taliban is not like the world. You know, they, they, they're probably a lot more detached from the world than a lot of other people are. Like no internet, no, no social media, no TV, but they're complete flesh. Why are they complete flesh? Because they're outside of Jesus. So lawlessness is anything outside of faith in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Amen? All right, revelation of grace um, is a firm foundation. Verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. I love this. I love that word, whoever. Say whoever. Therefore, whoever. Say whoever again. I love the word whoever. It's used a lot in scripture. Whoever is a grace word. Say whoever is a grace word. That's a word that works for me. Say I can be a whoever. It can work for you. It can work for anybody. Whoever is a grace word. Whoever hears these words and does them. I love the words hear and do because these are faith words. And they work for whoever. If you're a whoever, you can hear. You can do. Faith will work for you. It'll work for whoever. Hear and do our faith words. Revelate, uh, sorry, um, Romans. In my notes I put Revelation, but it's Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. In hearing by the word of God. As a pastor who is about ready to leave the novice stage of pastoring, of bishoping, Reverend Dr. Bishop Aaron Perdue, after I have 10 years of ministry, you can call me Bishop. I'm just joking. Bishop just means overseer. You don't have to call me Reverend Doctor either. You can call me whatever you want. It's not about me. As a pastor, I want to build people in faith. I want people to be like this wise man who built his house on the rock. Who, so people, who, who are these people? Whoever. Who can come to this church? Whoever. Then it's up to you to hear and to do, to apply that faith. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what God says. This is what preachers should do. They should build people in faith. How do you do that? You preach the word. Again, a great letter that Paul wrote to American preachers. Preach the word. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince. Rebuke. Some people don't like to be convinced or rebuked or every, you know, in, in a, in a um, I've said this before, but in, in a church, 
setting. I think every believer should go to a church with a pastor on a, on a regular basis. If you don't go to a church on a regular basis, maybe you live somewhere where there isn't a church to go to or a good church to go to, but now you can connect online as well. But if you don't go to a church on a regular basis, you're detached, you're isolated. So to me, it's actually a basic, basic part of Christianity. I'm just going to be real with everyone tonight, okay? Is it okay? The Reverend Dr. Someday not novice, someday Bishop Aaron Perdue. You know, church isn't just meeting with a couple other people at Starbucks in a living room. These things are good to do. But that there need to be pastors. There need to be, be ministers, people who dedicate their life. Again, it's dedicating your, your life to, to preaching the gospel, to discipling people, to... You know, when I was in, in college, you know, I, I would, um, you know, I, I went to, to Babylon University. There weren't a whole lot. Of, I was like, Elijah, God, I'm the only one. And God would say, well, there, there's a few others, not too many there at Babylon University. But uh, if, if I met, met a, a girl who said she was Christian, one of the first things I would ask her is, where do you go to church? And about 95% of the time, a girl that I met in college who said she was Christian that I was somewhat interested in would say, I don't go to church. So it was, it was, for me, it was an immediate deal breaker. Because to me, I thought, this is, this is basic. Yeah. And I know you guys are here tonight, or you're here connected online as well. But, the, the, you know, the, there's a lot of people who, who are just becoming more and more detached, more and more isolated, more and more, but that's not what the Bible tells us to do. That's not what Jesus tells us to do. We're actually supposed to assemble ourselves together. Ecclesia, more and more. Say more and more. And it's not always easy. And uh, the problem with, with um, American society is, is that our society is very consumeristic. Everything drives, drives us to be a consumer. But, but church is not a consumer type thing. It's a community. It's a relational thing. So say, say relationship. And if, you, if, you, if you're in a healthy relationship with someone, your mentality isn't, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it? It's all about me. What's it, you know? If I came to my wife, Heather, and my mentality was completely consumeristic, what's in it for me all the time? Without any regard for, for her person or for God, it, it would be very, very unhealthy, very, it, it, would, it, would, it would lead to detachment. I would be very isolated. I'd be sleeping in the basement. <laughs> There, there, there's give and take. There, there's actually this word um, used in scripture called submission. And to submit means sometimes you don't get it your way. Say, in relationship, sometimes 
I don't get it my way. <laughs> Pastor Aaron Perdue, the, the Reverend Doctor, number two, or number three, whatever I am. I'm not the head bishop here. Bishop Lawson Perdue is here tonight. But I can tell you this, even Bishop Lawson Perdue at Karis Christian Center doesn't always get it his way. You know, Sunday morning, we have a few extra special things. I know it's a big day. I know like, we got a lot of kids here. And I told my dad, with all the special things, you need to keep your message to 20 minutes. <laughs> we'll see if he submits to his son's request. We don't know. Sometimes you're not going to have it your way. This is not Burger King. <laughs> Burger King, have it your way. This is really good preaching. This is actually what the American church needs to hear. Whoever, back to verse 24. Whoever, that's a grace word. Hears and does, those are faith words. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. It says, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. This revelation of who Jesus is, this revelation of who he, he, he is Lord, but he's also that narrow gate. And he, he is the face of God's grace. I'm very blessed to be a part of this church. I'm very blessed to know many of you on, on various levels, but I know there's a lot of people here who are, are these whoevers who hear and do the word of God, and I've seen the fruit in their lives. I've seen the houses that they've built in their lives. I've seen the families that they've built. I've seen the, the relationships they've built. I've seen the, the faith in Jesus that they've built. And I've seen when the rains came and the floods came and the wind came and their life did not fall apart, their faith did not fall apart because they are that whoever, they understand, who, what, they understand that Jesus is God's grace and they also hear the word and they do the word. They take the word very seriously. They take the grace of God very seriously. I'm very blessed to be a part of this relationship where I know everyone here isn't perfect, even the great Reverend Dr. Bishop Aaron Perdue. <laughs> Someday I want to say I have a lot of good fruit. There, there's, I think I'm past the, the shooting up stage. There's maybe some buds coming out. Verse 26, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. Great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. I love that word astonished. I'm going to come back to it here in a second, that word astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. I feel like Sunday morning, God was speaking to me, and he, he felt, I, I felt that he was saying that, that there is going to be astonishment, just growing astonishment, like, like what the Bible says in Acts, that people were filled with awe and wonder 
at the signs, at the miracles, at the wonders that they were seeing. I, I, I want people who, who, who come here that they're, they're going to see these things happen and they're just going to be astonished and say, only God could have done this. So just a couple last little, little thoughts here. A revelation of grace, it will cause you to be resilient. It will cause you to keep coming back to the throne of grace. Say resilient. A true revelation of grace will, will cause you to be resilient. Religion, legalism, it will cause you to think like this. I'm in trouble. Don't call my dad. He'll be furious. It leads to isolation, to detachment. A relationship with God through Jesus, a revelation of grace will cause you to think like this. I'm in trouble. I need to call my dad. He'll help me and he'll know what to do. So my conclusion is this verse from Hebrews, Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.